It's about time, right time, right place, time, standstill, shout out to Rush, borrowed time, play time, bonus time, game time. You must remember this, a kiss is just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh, the fundamental things apply as goes by. Thank you, you knew it, I knew it, I knew you would know it. Added time, overtime, time after time. Cindy Lauper, I actually met her once. Stonehouse Coffee, Zella and I were there for a cup of coffee, and she was taken by, in her words, Zella's quote, movie star teeth. Equal time, no sense of time. She's right on time, which is one of six songs that Billy Joel identifies as his favorite of all time. Time is up, closing time, semi-sonic. Ain't got a dime, just spending my time was a favorite saying of my dad's. Time flies, coffee time, tea time. When is your tea time? Hanging in the chow line. I know I've done this one before, but I love doing this song. Hanging in the chow line, good times. Hard times, one time, one timer. Sorry, gophers. Yes, yes, yes. Once upon a time, time management, time flies. The last time, or it's time to go, Taylor, do you have your tickets? The Nick of Time was the 10th album for the great theologian Bonnie Raitt. The title track, the line, life gets mighty precious when there is less of it to waste, has this powerful sense of time. Page 853, verse 1, chapter 16. Verse 1's time frame is Saturday evening after 6 p.m. Verse 2's time frame is the next morning early, but probably after 6 a.m. Let's get into it. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to him, don't be freaked out. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Empty questions, right? Who will help us? It, the answer is empty. What happened? The answer is it's empty. For any question that they would have for that morning, it's empty. It's kind of like when you're having a conversation with someone and you've told them all that you know about a given situation and they continue to answer questions. And you're like, I don't have any more answers, right? It's like, yeah, I know you've told me everything that you say you know, but what about this? I don't know. I don't know anything more. All I know is that it's empty. And to be sure, the person making the inquiry has this sense of disbelief, this sense of what just happened, a sense of shock. And then all the things, all of the questions that this group of three women would have been asking that Mark doesn't have access to, a woman's heart is a deep, deep thing. It seems as though the women in Jesus' life are quicker on the uptake than the boys. And, a re and in a really intriguing twist on, on first century judicial realities, they are the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. The proof that something has happened is reflected in the void, in the empty. 
And as important as the empty tomb is, the reality of the resurrection overshadows an unoccupied cave. It's not simply that the body is no longer there. It's not simply that the body is missing. It's that death isn't final because, as the messenger, the young man in the story said, he has risen. He has risen indeed. Better translation actually would be he was raised. He is risen kind of like, okay, well, who did it? He was raised points to the reality that Jesus is raised from the dead by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Irrespective of that reality, death isn't final. Death doesn't get to win. It is at most a temporary albeit sometimes brutal diversion, even at times painfully lacking in a sense of rightness. But it is a gateway. It's passing through this one-way door, right? It's something that we typically don't experience more than once. And even though there are some cases of understanding, the documentation of what happens when we close our eyes for the final time is still a bit of a mystery. St. Paul will write later in the New Testament, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus tells one of two criminals who were executed with him that today you will be with me in paradise. And while our faith traditions might uh, create all sorts of complicated theologies, at times poorly sourced and unduly influenced by human thought, I think the most comfort that I have when it comes to death and dying is with a simple understanding. Death is not the end. It's a gateway. It's an exit ramp. It's real. And the challenge that we face as humans is not letting it get so ahead of us, having so much influence in our lives. We can have so much angst, so much fear, so much anger about death. And for the person who is aligned with Jesus Christ, the posture towards death can be radically different. Now, I get it, okay? I get it. If we're not walking with Christ, okay, I get the paralyzing nature of what happens next and that catch in the throat, and you're wondering, what will this look like and what will it feel like and what will it be like? And these flood of emotions can be paralyzing, right? And even for folks who would say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I've encountered this reality that there, there's this fear of even talking about death, so afraid. You don't need to fear death. We, we don't need to fear death. This June, we'll be having a summer elective to embrace a more robust discussion of death. It will include theology and ethics. It will include practical discussions about life considerations. It will be wrapped in a Christ-centric confidence. Watch for it. But for today, please know this. Death was not the end for Jesus. 
death isn't the end for us. Jesus did die, and he was raised. But like our understanding of death, what happens between Jesus dying and Jesus being raised is equally mysterious, right? What happens in this time gap that Mark doesn't address? Later in the New Testament, St. John will write this intriguing kind of cryptic statement. The one that was first and last, the living one who died and is alive forevermore, so we're talking about Jesus, right, holds the keys of death in Hades. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. The Nicene Creed, adopted by the church in the 300s, he, Jesus, descended into hell. The imagery of these, right, suggests this battle between Jesus and Satan and Jesus coming out on top with the keys, right? The gold medal, if you will, first place. And it's one of those contests where it's not like there's a first place winner, second place good job. It's a zero-sum game. Jesus wins and evil, Satan, the deceiver, loses. We've talked about this before, right? This was the decisive victory in the course of history. But the high-stakes game isn't over until Jesus returns for a second time, which explains, in part, the role that each of us play in proclaiming Jesus to our sphere of influence. It also explains why we will face adversity while we wait for the end of all things. Back to the text, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Understanding this verse means going back a couple chapters. You can read it on page 851. If you want a Bible and you don't have a Bible at home, take the one that's in front of you. It's a gift from Timberwood to you, from me. You can pat me on the back, whatever you want. Please take one. The summary is this, okay? Peter is like this big and bold dude, okay? He is like, he's like on the inner circle, the three tightest disciples closest to Jesus. He's making these broad and big claims about what he will do and how he'll be a stand-up guy when Jesus is in a time of greatest need. He promises he won't desert Jesus, he won't fall asleep at the switch, but what actually happens is he does fall asleep. And what actually happens is that he runs like a scared deer chased by wolves and then even denies he knows Jesus in roughly 12 hours or so before Jesus dies. That's the context for seven. So what Jesus doesn't do is what I would do. Like, if someone had let me down this severely, I would be like, yeah, we're done. I mean, it was nice knowing you. Um, bear no ill will towards you. You're still a good person. I don't ever want to see you again. Our relationship is over. Jesus. Well, let's just say he's not thrown off when there is potential for a little or a lot of disappointment in our actions. 
He doubles down. He singles out Peter. He sees the potential in Peter and looks for a pathway of healing. You can see how this applies, right? If Peter can disavow, fall asleep, reject all about covering his own, you get the idea. If he can desert Jesus at the time of greatest need, and Jesus is still wanting to have a relationship with him, I'm pretty sure that there is nothing that you or I could ever do that would land us outside of God's desire, Jesus' desire to love us and welcome us back in. Nothing. Nothing inside of you, nothing that you've experienced, nothing that you've created is outside of God's ability to reunite with you, forgive you, restore you, and redeem you. Think about the thing that you like least about yourself. Think about a thing that's in the past that you hope no one ever finds out about. That thing. That thing is not outside of God's ability to reunite with you, forgive you, restore you, and redeem you. Say it with me, using the pronoun me. Nothing is outside of God's ability to reunite with me, forgive me, restore me, redeem me. Again, please. Nothing is outside of God's ability to reunite with me, forgive me, restore me, redeem me. Once more, just just one more time. From your heart. Because this is true. Nothing is outside of God's ability to reunite with me, forgive me, restore me, redeem me. Just like that. It doesn't have to be complex. It can be, it can be as simple as feeling your heartbeat. Did you know that when you, especially when you lay on your left side, okay, that there's this spot, okay, that, that you can actually feel the tip of your heart? It's right underneath your pec, kind of dropping down from, from your clavicle over from your sternum. And it's a, it's a quarter-sized piece of, of real estate. And, and if you're laying on your side, you can actually feel the tip of your heart beating. It's called the PMI. A friend of mine who's a cardiologist told me about this. The point of maximal impulse. Sometimes you got to search around for it. If you want to lay down, it's okay. Left side. Thirty-three years after her first Grammy for Nick of Time, Bonnie Raitt added to her career hall with a tune just like that. It's a classic Bonnie Raitt tune, classic blues, 
could have been on her first album, recorded on Enchanted Island on Lake Minnetonka. It's a story, inspired by a true story, about a mother who loses a son. And in the story, Bonnie explores the fact that losing a child could argue against the promise that Jesus has of grace and peace. The blues are real, folks. And then one day, there's a knock at the door. It's a boy who is the recipient of her son's heart, allowing life. Do you know this song? Just like that. It's, it's, ama- it's absolutely amazing. Olivia Zand is the name of the woman. She puts her head on this boy's chest and hears her son's heartbeat. Bonnie sings, But somehow grace has found me, and I had to let him in. And just like that, your life can change. I'm not asking for a complex thing. This this doesn't have to be hard. Just let grace in. There is life and there is death and there is life in death and there is something as simple as a heartbeat. And today, grace has found you. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Please pray with me. It often starts in quiet moments. And we're in one of those moments in life. It starts with you saying, Jesus, I want your grace inside of me. I want to be reunited by, with you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want to be restored. I want to be redeemed. And in this quiet moment, if you say those quiet words, it's the start of a relationship with the God of the universe. Father, thank you for this day in which we get to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. The hope of life after death. The hope of restoration and redemption and forgiveness and reunion. Through your spirit, draw us closer. Allow us to let grace in. In Jesus' name.